Glory to God who has given us salvation in his Son, Jesus Christ. Glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. In today's gospel lesson, taken, written rather, in the seventh chapter of St. Mark, beginning at the 31st verse, Jesus was departing from one region where he had been ministering. He comes to another region and people bring to him someone who was both deaf and dumb, that is, unable to speak. Now, why would these people bring someone to Jesus unless their hearts had been stirred by the Holy Spirit? And how would their hearts have been stirred by the Holy Spirit unless they had heard the Word of God? So it is highly likely that these persons who bring the deaf and dumb man to Jesus had already heard the Lord himself preach. Or others had shared his word with them. And they brought this man who was deaf and unable to speak to Jesus. Now here is the first spiritual meaning. We also, who have heard the word of God, must pray that our hearts would not only be open to receive the word of God within us, so that the word of God may be written not on tablets of stone, but in, on the flesh of our hearts. But that word must take such root that it will bear forth fruit so that we too will become living word. And we would bring others to Christ. Now, I don't want you to look at them because I don't want you to embarrass them. They're, they're visiting today. But two people came in and greeted me, and they said, and this was the lovely neighbor who uh, helped us find the church, and we invited her to come, and she's here with us too. And I said, oh, that's, that's good material for the sermon. Thank you. See, they did exactly, see, they were up this morning reading the gospel. They knew exactly what they were going to do, you see. All right. We are to bring people to Christ. If we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, if we believe he is the word made flesh, if we believe he has authority over this world and the power by his cross and resurrection to release us from sin and death, then we must bring others to him. Years ago, and I was sharing this story anew with Martha the other day, years ago, I was in a restaurant with a few priests and a bishop from Kenya, Africa. And we ordered our food and we were conversing and so forth and and when the waitress came, she gave us all our food. Everything looked lovely. And she said, 
So, uh, gentlemen, is there anything else I can do for you? And the bishop looked up and he said, yes, you can pray. And then he bowed his head. I was quite startled being from New England. And I kind of had my head down because the bishop said, let us pray. So my head was going down. But I kind of looked up at the girl like, And, 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 and God bless her, she said, uh, for these and all thy gifts, we're truly thankful, amen, and, and, and ran away hoping not to be fired. At least in her panic, she didn't say, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray to the Lord my soul to keep. Yeah. And when we, she was done, I, I, I said to the bishop, you know, bishop, um, that's, a, that's definitely a cultural difference. Um, we don't do that here. And he said, ah, that's your problem. <laughs> you see, he couldn't help but try to draw this young woman in because there was an opportunity. There's a young man at the restaurant where the clergy staff go to have their, their monthly staff meeting. And there's a young man that's often our waiter, and uh, he is a Muslim, and, uh, uh, but he always asks uh, for our, our prayers because he was raised by Christians in Pakistan, by the Jesuits. And so he's always asking for his prayer, our prayers, especially for his son, because there were some problems with the pregnancy and so forth. And the other day, he came up, and he wasn't our waiter, but he came over to show us a picture of his son and uh, eyes the, this big. And, and, you know, we said how wonderful that was and so forth. And then immediately it came into my heart that, we have spoken to him on numerous occasions. He has made reference to knowing at least something about Jesus. And while I've offered him my prayers, I've never invited him to talk to me about salvation in Jesus. And so I did. I called him by his name, and I said, you know, I'll never bother you about this again, but I'm going to give you my card with my phone number on it, and I know you know something about Jesus because you were raised uh, uh, by, by Christians in a Christian school, and if you ever want to discuss salvation in Jesus, please call me. This is what the gospel is talking about. The gospel is saying that if we who have heard the word of God and have truly received the word of God within us, then we wouldn't be able to help ourselves in wanting to bring others to Christ. It can't be both ways. We can't say we believe Jesus is Lord and act as though he is not. We cannot say that the word of God dwells within our heart and it's living and true and then live as though it's dormant within us in our everyday lives. 
And so they bring him to Jesus. So that's number one. Don't worry, there's only 12 points. And um, <laughs> I thought Christine was going to look up. There's nothing I can do for you. Yeah. We must bring persons to Jesus. The gospel goes on to say that Jesus took the man aside from the multitude. Now, this is a great spiritual truth as well. So firstly, we who have received the word of God must bring those who do not know him to Christ. But the second is, then Christ draws us into that personal relationship with him. He takes the man away from that crowd for that one-on-one encounter with the living God in Jesus. Now, he doesn't say, now you no longer need to go back among the community. You don't need the church. You don't need, you, you have me, it's just you and me, kid against the world, and you know, read your Bible at home, and that's, that's not what he says. But he does have a personal encounter with Jesus. We are not called to have an individual relationship with Christ, but we are called to have a personal relationship relationship with Christ within the body of Christ. And so Jesus pulls him aside and addresses him personally. And then Jesus placed his fingers in the man's ears And he spat and he touched his tongue. Now I was in prayer going, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do with this one? You put your fingers in a guy's ears and then you spat and touched his tongue. I need help here. (laughs) And so I looked up in the early church fathers and St. Gregory the Great, one of the few saints to actually be referred to as the great, the same one to whom is attributed Gregorian chant, and the same uh, saint who sent Augustine on a missionary journey to bring the good news of Jesus to the English. So you can actually blame this particular saint for Stephen Monica from England. But anyway... um, It's the same one who uh, sent Augustine, who became the first Archbishop of Canterbury. And he writes, What is signified by the fingers of the Redeemer? And as soon as I read that, I realized we must, I, I was looking at it wrong. We must remember who it is who has called this man aside and whose fingers it is that is being placed in this man's ears. These are the fingers of God. And so he says, what is signified by the fingers of the Redeemer if not the gift of the Holy Ghost? And this is the reason why he said in another place when he had cast out a devil, if I by the finger of God cast out devils, doubtless the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
The Spirit of God is the finger of God that touches us deeply within our hearts, that touches us personally, that releases us from that which keeps us from the kingdom and from the king himself. What is it if Jesus were to come today and place his fingers upon you, would you need to be released from? What keeps you from that fuller relationship, that personal relationship with the living God in Jesus? Can you imagine that God himself has come into this world for you? No other religion teaches that. Every other religion, you have to get to God. You're bad, so you've got to go to God. And guess what? You can't get there. Anyone ever gotten there on their own merits? Okay. Me neither. So God comes to us. The love of God, the mercy of God, the truth of God, the grace of God, the presence of God, the healing of God comes into this world personally in Jesus to be with you. To be with you. And to release you from whatever it is that keeps you from the fuller kingdom of God whether it be addiction to alcohol, whether it be addiction to drugs, whether it be unforgiveness, whether it be prejudice or hatred, whether it be a sexual sin, whatever it is that keeps you more in, in, in the world than in the Word, He comes to release you from it. Because as you've heard me say before, you cannot have both. You must choose. It's the Word or the world. The Word or the world. Jesus says, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. He is the final word. He can and will deliver you from whatever it is that keeps you from him. Why? Because he loves you. And then Jesus spat and touched the man's tongue. Again, Gregory tells us that the saliva from the Redeemer's mouth means that the wisdom that is contained in the divine word is releasing his tongue. In the Old Testament, we see where God requires the prophet to eat the word of God. And it's sweet uh, in his mouth, but bitter within him because it's confronting the sin that is deep within him. And so Jesus, who is the word of God himself, touches him. Now I looked up, probably for the first time in my life, saliva. It's 99.5% water. And it also has something in it that is an antibacterial that brings healing. Thus the term, licking my wounds. But when we think of 
the waters of God again. It is the Holy Spirit who can become, as Jesus tells us, a living water within us that builds up and overflows. A living water. And so Jesus releases the man. And he says, Ephata. We spent about 15 minutes before the Mass debating on how you pronounce that. So I'm just going to go now right to the English. Be open. Be open. Although I did love one of the answers that the clergy gave. We all debated and, and, you know, and what it was. And then one of them at the end said, well, I'm going to go with his pronunciation because um, he's the archdeacon and my boss. And I said, I kind of like that. Deacon Susie, but Father Bob was like, no, that's still wrong. (laughs) (laughs) No matter where you go, it's a tag team between your wife and I, you know, no matter where you go. Jesus says, be opened. This is what we have to do. We have to allow him to bring the Holy Spirit initially or anew into our hearts and hear his command to us. Be open to allow the Spirit of the living God within us that it may overflow from us. And so what is it that you have to be released from? At the time of the confession, I'm going to grant about 30 seconds of silence right before we confess, despite the length of the sermon. Going to add another 30 seconds. And I want you to name before God whatever it is. Is it fear? Is it hardness of heart? Is it stubbornness? Is it pride? Is it arrogance? Whatever it is, name it. And I'll nail it to the cross and then hear the command of God speaking to you, saying, Be open and allow His Spirit to enter into you anew. And so at the time of the confession, nail those things to the cross. At the time of the communion, when you open your mouth, see yourself opening your heart, opening your ears to receive the word, opening your mouth to proclaim the word, opening your heart to receive the Spirit of God. Glory to God who has given us salvation in his Son, Jesus Christ. Glory to God forever and ever. Amen.